MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, but they've just announced that they are extending their 60-day money-back guarantee. That's right. Orders placed between now and December 25th will have their 60-day money-back guarantee extended through March 1st, 2023. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square or use the promo code Heidi to receive the MyPillow percale sheets for as low as $29.98. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. Hey everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today, you guys. We're so glad that you're here, that you're joining me on this Thanksgiving week. I have a very special guest on the show with me. Dr. Jeff Myers is here. He's the president of Summit Ministries, a respected authority on youth leadership development. And he brings humor. You guys are going to love him. He brings humor and insight from a Christian worldview. Today, we're going to be talking about the topic of truth. Dr. Jeff is the author of 14 books. He holds a PhD from the University of Denver, and he's thriving out in the great state of Colorado with his beautiful wife, Stephanie. You guys, this is going to be a great conversation. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right. So for those of you who are just joining me here at the Off the Bench podcast, I want to welcome you. We are getting ready to pass 17 million downloads at the show. So I want to say thank you to everybody who's uh, passing this around to their friends. You guys are doing a really great thing in encouraging other people to have honest conversations about what's happening in the culture right now. One of the most important conversations that we can have is on the topic of truth. You guys have heard me say this a million times here at the show. Objective truth is a hill to die on. We have to be able to agree that there is such a thing as truth. Uh, Jesus exemplified this in his life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I'm thrilled to have Dr. Jeff Myers back on the show. He has speaking. He's speaking on this topic with such clarity. He wrote a book called Truth Changes Everything, and I asked him to come on the show, and we're going to take up the topic right here. Hey, my friend, welcome to the show. Heidi, great to be with you. Looking forward to our conversation. I'm really glad that you're here. You're over there. Are you still over in Manitou? Where are you guys yeah, at? So we're, yeah, we're in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is a little hippie town right at the foot of Pikes Peak, right next to Colorado Springs. And it is a, it's a wonderful place for this ministry to be located. Summit Ministries celebrated its 60th anniversary Get out. this year. Wow, and I can't believe it. It's been a huge part of my life. I attended as a student. I, I walked right in the front door because I was one of those kids who was preparing to walk away from church when I left high school. Mm. And I, I, my parents arranged for me to come here. I'm not entirely sure how they found out about the program. But when I walked in the front door, I saw the director Dr. David Noble, I just marched right up to him and I said, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. And he didn't take offense at that at all. He just said, hey, at Summit, we aren't afraid of questions. Wow. And that's what I needed to hear. Yeah. I needed to be in a tribe of people who were on the hunt, you know, people who really took Jesus seriously and seeking the truth. Yeah. And truth is really, I mean, this is what's the subject on college campuses right now. This is why we're having conversations about whether or not men can have babies. You know, once we throw away the uh, the truth and we decide, well, you have your truth, Jeff, and I have my truth. I mean, this was the gospel of Oprah Winfrey because I listened to it in the 80s. And I remember her saying, hey, I've discovered my truth. And as a 16-year-old kid listening to Oprah Winfrey, I was like, I didn't know you could have your truth. That was the first time that someone had ever, like, you know, brought this conversation to the forefront, to the mainstream culture that maybe, just maybe, 
truth isn't objective anymore. And you really have noticed, I know in the culture, because you speak on it a lot, training students at Summit, that these are the questions they're asking right now. Don't they have a lot to do with whether or not there is such a thing as truth? Of course, yes. And we've actually officially passed the tipping point now. Yeah. So 55% of young adults uh, say they believe that truth is decided by each person. Wow. So it's even more than just truth is relative, but it's it's everything revolving around personal autonomy. It's no longer the idea that you should seek the truth. It's the idea, as Oprah put it, that you should speak your truth. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's so dangerous for us personally and for culture is that it's sort of like navigating in the wilderness, taking a compass with you and making sure that the red needle always points toward you. Wow. You're not more found. You're more lost. Uh, I even remember, and I didn't agree with this guy on a lot of things, but there was a psychiatrist in the 1970s named M. Scott Peck who wrote a book called Road Less Traveled. And in his book, he actually said, look, if you want to return to mental health, you have to grapple with the reality as it actually is. You cannot live in your fantasy world and ever expect to get well. But Heidi, as as you know, because you talk about this all of the time, the same thing is true for civilizations. No civilization has ever gotten this far down the road in denying reality and survived unless it somehow had a turnaround. And that's why I wrote the book, Truth Changes Everything, to ask, is that turnaround even possible? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you think? Is it possible? Because there's a lot of people right now listening to the show and having these conversations around the world that feel like you, like what you said exactly right. We have, we've passed the tipping point, right? And so now we're just on the downhill slide. How are we going to get it back? We've had the conversation you and I before here at the show about what's happening in our churches who are rejecting truth. So we've got uh, churches who are teaching that there is no such thing as truth. And so I guess it begs the question. I'm curious what you think. Have we gone past the point of no return where we're just going to have to live with the culture as it is, and this is just the new normal. Well, without giving away too much of the plot of Truth Changes Everything, I wrote the book because I believe that there's hope. Now, that's not easy. The hope is not easy. That's the thing, is that we sort of live in this culture of what I call a grubhub narcissism. Unless you can deliver it to me on the schedule that I want with the exact menu items that I want— then I am not obligated to understand or try to grapple with it. If we can't overcome that, I doubt if there is, there is any hope. But if we can, then we can join truth changers from history. I, in fact, in the book, I went all the way back to the 1300s, to probably the worst time in all of human history. The time Wait, of you're the saying Black that Death. right now is not the worst time in all of human history? Because I keep hearing people say, oh, this is the worst time. I'm like, uh, no, it's actually been worse than this. In the Black Death, a third to half of the people in the countries for which we have records died in the most gruesome way imaginable. That is, it's almost incredible to think that that could actually happen in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, you know, in the Avengers, it's like Thanos killing off half the population. It literally happened. Yeah. And what, what occurred after is so stunning that there was truth changers who believe that Jesus is the truth, who stepped into the gap. They did that in every way imaginable, starting with healthcare, because they ran toward those who were suffering rather than running away from them. And that's what made, that's what made the difference. Catherine of Siena, for example, she was asked, Hey, why don't you get out? You know, everybody who's, who can is getting out or you're going to die. And she said, I want to be with Jesus. 
So I'm staying here. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, Jesus sits with the suffering and I want to be with Jesus. So I'm going to go sit with the suffering. And that almost literally was the beginning of modern healthcare, modern sanitation, the whole idea of quarantines, the whole idea that you could actually understand the body and you could bring healing and that would bring glory to God. The whole idea of modern science came out of that. I don't know if I mentioned this on your show before, but of the 52 individuals whose discoveries and inventions constitute modern science, only one of them was an atheist. They were basing everything on a Christian worldview and the arts, politics, justice, all of these different areas. It was believers who really made the difference. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something that the the church, I think, is grappling with young people, certainly, and we've had these conversations, you know, most of my kids are in their late 20s, early 30s now, and we've had this conversation for a long time, and that is where do Christians belong? Do Christians belong in the so-called seven mountains of influence, right? The influence spheres that we typically see elevated in culture. So you just named one of the big ones, which is medicine. You know, do Christians belong in medicine? Should we have a voice for truth and reason in politics, what's your take on the influence of Christians and really the waning influence as we've removed ourselves from many of these spheres? Jesus said in John eight thirty one and 32, if you pay attention to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, that word truth in the Greek, which is the language, the original language that Jesus' words were translated into from either Hebrew or Aramaic. That word in the Greek for truth is the word aletheia. It means reality. In other words, Jesus is not saying, hey, if you follow my truth, you'll learn your own truth. He was saying, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth. You will actually know reality. Reality will open itself up to you. And that is what sets you free. You're not set free by creating a fantasy world in which everything revolves around you. You're created, you're, you have, you have reality. And when you grapple with that, then it starts to make a difference. It can literally transform cultures. So I I guess my answer to the question is, I just look back at the lives of these unbelievable world changers. I cover 75 of their stories. The book Truth Changes Everything. And it's, it's in every imaginable area of life of people who not only believe that truth exists logically, they believe that truth is a person. It's Jesus. And that was the thing that changed it all. I mean, you, you, could, you could develop medical technology, but if you didn't really care where, whether people were sick or whether they died, then it wouldn't make any difference. In other words, you have no understanding of the, the value of human life. Mm. Nobody would care that mm-hmm. you had those cures, mm-hmm. right? And the same is true in science and all these other areas. So if Christians will say, I will choose to engage rather than to escape, Even in these areas where it seems like Christianity doesn't have anything to say because we don't talk about it much in church, like science or the arts, even in those areas, Mm -hmm. I think the difference could be profound. Yeah. And that's going to, it requires courage right now to speak truth to a culture that is saying truth doesn't exist. 
and we're watching him, and I'm sure that you do. I love to watch Louder with Crowder, right? So I watch, you know, Crowder go on to college campuses and say, hey, change my mind. And it's amazing the number of students that I see come up to him that want to shout from the sidelines, but they don't want to engage in a thoughtful, reasonable conversation. How do we move culture to having these conversations instead of, hey, we're just lobbing bombs at each other across the Internet? Come on. I think the, the the last part of what you just asked is really the key to it all. Ooh, we have wow. to stop thinking that yeah. the internet is reality. It is not. Now, obviously, we use technology, Heidi. You have people all over the world who can watch yeah. and listen to your podcast. That technology is amazing. We use a lot of technology here at Summit Ministries. We've reached people in 90 different countries through technology that 20 years ago wasn't even available. But the truth is, the internet, mm. especially social media, is designed to monetize anger. That's the purpose of it. That people figured out, if I can get people to be really mad at each other, I can make a lot of money. Facebook is organized around that premise. Mm -hmm. Twitter is absolutely organized around that premise. So you, you have to stop thinking that if you if you forward a meme or share a right. meme that you think really just you know go get mm -hmm. them on the other side that you somehow made a difference if you, if you think that mm -hmm. then you're really sort of missing the entire point the entire point is that truth and relationship always go together at summit ministries we think of them as like two strands of a dna double helix kind of imagine that twisty ladder with the connecting nucleotides you always speak the truth in the context of relationship and you always relate in the context of truth. If you do that, then you're actually representing mm. what, what Jesus was talking about. You said that you got about, about what, upwards of 70, would you say 75, 74 stories uh, in your book, Truth Changes Everything. What are, what's like, when you think of the man, yeah. this is my favorite story, not to mess with your book, but come on, 75, you got to at least give me one. Like, tell me. Yeah. I got to tell you some of these stories. I, I love them. Well, one of, the, one of the ones that actually became one of my favorites, and it's now even more precious to me because I did an yeah, interview with brilliant. Eric Metaxas, you know, mm -hmm. who's written thousands and thousands of pages of history books. And he said, I have I never heard You're that like, story I have before. just talked to like, the holy oh, grail of historians who told me I am the better historian in I this situation. I have a story you don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was... It, it was, it's the story of John Wycliffe. And a lot of people have heard about John Wycliffe. He was a professor at Oxford University in the 1300s, but he wanted to translate the Bible into English. There were a couple of problems with that. First of all, it was against the law. If you translated the Bible into English, you could risk death. Uh, second of all, it was believed that Latin was the best language for communicating Holy Scripture. And if you translated it into English, that would be, that would make it vulgar. That would be like adding curse words every third or fourth word. That's sort of true. Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you wouldn't do it. Right. So here's how Wycliffe went through this. He said, okay, Moses heard from God in his own language. The disciples heard from Jesus in their own language. People today need to hear from God in their own language. The problem was that English was not a standardized language at that point. There was no standardized spelling, pronunciation. There was no dictionary of English words. So Wycliffe actually designed all of that. There are 1,100 words that are used in English for the first time 
in Wycliffe's translation of the Bible. Words like mystery, treasure, persuasion, communication, even the word wordy, which I think is hilarious, <laughs> is used in his translation for the first time. Well, what happened? English, as a result of his translation, became a standardized language. Now it is the number one trade language in the world. The English language has quite literally changed the entire world, and it goes all the way back to a professor at Oxford University, which was very tiny at that time, who said, hey, people need to hear from God in their own language. And that literally changed the course of the entire world. Wow. I did not. So we all are familiar with Wycliffe Bible translators, right? But to hear it go back and it makes so much sense. And it's like the Lord just illuminates things to different people who have a specific message that God said, hey, this is your job. This is what I want you to do. It's almost like we were created on purpose. Uh, with a purpose. It just, it, it smacks of that. What's another one? <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you a story from the arts because I, I've had a lot of people say, okay, I understand this is true in science. After all, we all know that water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level. We can know scientific facts. Well, the arts, that's just different. Yeah. You know, that's so David, subjective. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. David Hume said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, so we, we all believe that, but it turns out that's not actually so. As I was researching for the book, I came across a, a couple of different things. One of them was just this really cool video of the male flame bower bird in New Guinea. And it was this bird actually create, he builds a bower to attract a mate and he takes everything he can find, berries, bottle caps, anything. And he arranges it in a forced perspective so that if you're standing in front of it, you're just kind of drawn into the bower. <laughs> he sits there when a potential mate comes by he comes out of his bower and he does a little dance. It looks like a flamenco dance. It's amazing. And his, his irises of his eyes pulse like this. And then he sees. <laughs> it's like he's got a John Travolta thing going on. Oh, it's unbelievable. You've <laughs> got to watch the video of this thing. So the problem for evolutionists is where is the survival value in this? Right. Creating that bower and arranging all of those little, every, all those little beautiful things that the bird can find. None of that has any survival value. In fact, it arguably takes away from survival because it just takes so much time. Right. Right. So Richard uh, 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 Plume was, was uh, an ornithology, evolutionary ornithologist from Yale University. And he said, look, sometimes the outcomes in nature are just decadent, which is the evolutionist way of saying, we have no we idea. Know. Yeah, we don't know. Well, we have no idea. This does not seem to to figure into reproductive value. It does not seem to figure into uh, survival value. And so it led me on this search. Well, you know, music. Let's take music because people all have their own musical preferences. Well, Harvard University did a music project. They collected samples from all these different cultures, thousands of different music samples. And it turns out what makes music beautiful is the same all over the world. So it started to lead me to wonder whether it's really so that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In the process of doing all of this, so this is how my brain works. This is so weird. So you know Jean-Jacques Rousseau. This he was a horrible, mm -hmm. he was a philosopher, very well known. His work really led to the French Revolution. Not a good guy. Yeah. But in his book, Confessions, he tells a story of going to hear a concert at the Ospitale uh, uh, della Pieta in Venice. And it's, I started tracing the story back and back and back. And it turns out it goes all the way back to this composer named Antonio Vivaldi. So Vivaldi was a priest. Yep. And not a very good priest because he was so distracted by wanting to write music. He would literally leave mass in the middle. He's conducting mass. Just leave. 
He has some of the best quotes on the internet, though, I have to say. <laughs> well, maybe if next people, to see it. If people, if people search for Vivaldi, it's like, I don't know, you're going to come up with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So yeah. anyway, he was so distracted. Uh, the other priests were so frustrated with him. So they arranged for him to be a composer to help orphans. Well, Ospitale della Pieta was a very large orphanage. They would train young boys, then they would go out and get jobs. But what about the young women? Many of them were disfigured. They had been dropped off at the orphanage in the first place because they were considered undesirable. Maybe their mothers were involved in prostitution. These young women had no hope. They had no future. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't even get married because they didn't have enough money for a dowry. So they would end up on the streets in the most horrible conditions possible. So Vivaldi turned them into the finest orchestras and choirs in Europe. And people came from all over to hear them perform. In fact, some of his musicians became the most famous uh, violinists, for example, in, in all of Europe. And what's so cool about it to me, Heidi, is I looked at the story, because you always wonder, how does my faith figure into this? Yeah. And how, and how do I benefit from this? Because like, I'm giving, giving, giving. But how does this affect, you know, my own purpose and meaning in life? And it turns out, Vivaldi had to do so much composing to keep all of his orchestras and choirs going that he ended up becoming one of the two most well-known composers of the Baroque period, along with Johann Sebastian Bach. In fact, arguably those two composers, both of whom were believers, incidentally, formed that period of music, which transformed all of musical history. Mm -hmm. And it was because he wanted to help young women who had no hope and no future have a sense of purpose and meaning in life. He wrote 500 concertos that we know of. Writing a concerto is the equivalent level of difficulty of writing a book. He wrote 500 that we know of. In fact, in one six-year period, he wrote an average of one concerto every two weeks. His musical output was astounding. And some of his pieces, Four Seasons, for example, are still bestsellers 300 years later. But it all came about because he was asking the question, Surely there is a way for God to take the art that he has put into my heart and use that in a way that actually fulfills my pastoral duties as well. Mm. And it, it's one of my favorite stories in the book. It just be, it's just because, listen, and if you know people who are interested in the arts, that chapter is a, it's a great place to start because yeah. you'd realize you really can know what beauty is. And beauty is related to everything else. It's related to justice, to ethics, to everything else. So we don't want to minimize how important that is in a Christian worldview. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying this interview with my friend, Dr. Jeff Myers from Summit Ministries. We're out of time for today. Tomorrow, we're going to pick this up again. Tomorrow's conversation is going to be a great opportunity for you just to listen in to some great ideas on how you can engage your friends and family during the holiday season in a way that is life-giving and truth-telling. So thank you guys for listening. Don't forget, we've got a brand new study getting ready to launch at MomStrong International the very first Monday in December. Peace Be Still is the name of the study for December. You guys are going to love it. Join me there at MomStrongInternational.com. Have a great day, everybody, and I'll see you back here again for part two with my friend, Dr. Jeff, here at the intersection of faith.